The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. This is Steve Woodruff, author of Clarity Wins, Get Heard, Get Referred, and you are listening to Authors in Quarantine Getting Cocktails. Hello and welcome to this hopefully short-lived series that will be airing in addition to the weekly marketing book podcast interviews. I'm your host, Douglas Burdett, and my goal during this unusual time is to reconnect you with past guests on the Marketing Book Podcast, share some ideas and inspiration, and maybe a much-needed laugh or two. I've interviewed over 200 authors on the show, and my plan is to continue this series until I either run out of authors or quarantine, whichever comes first. A word of warning, the host and guest may very likely be drinking cocktails during these conversations. I mean, come on. They are recorded during the cocktail hour. To find the show notes for each episode with pictures of each guest and links mentioned in their conversation, visit marketingbookcocktails.com. Marketingbookcocktails.com. See what I did there? And if you'd like to join the conversation, email a voice recording to me at douglas at salesartillery.com, and I'll try to include it in a future episode. I'd love to hear from you. Otherwise, connect with me on LinkedIn where we can chat. Steve Woodruff, welcome to Authors in Quarantine Getting Cocktails. How are you? Uh, Douglas, I am doing great, and I'm sipping some very fine whiskey from a distillery in Brooklyn, New York. Wow. Whiskey from Brooklyn. My goodness. Yeah, it's one of the uh, distilleries that is supporting my oldest son, who is uh, on an adventure going across the U.S., marketing uh, the whiskey and adventure lifestyle in a van with his dog. And uh, so he has a number of distilleries and others that are sponsoring him, and uh, that means I get some interesting uh, interesting blends here. Wow. Um, does he need a place to stay if he comes to Virginia? <laughs> well, he could, he's outfitted his van. He can stay right in there, and uh, he is out taking a bunch of uh, wonderful scenic pictures on mountaintops, near lakes, uh, generating content for his sponsors, and uh, feeding his Instagram audience of uh, almost 80,000 people who wow. follow him over the years on his uh, Instagram account, Whiskey with a View. Okay, well, we put a link to that and many other things related to uh, – Woodruff Nation, on your episode's show notes at marketingbookcocktails.com. Now, I should I should remind listeners, sir, or should tell people that you have five sons, and one of them was in the Marine Corps. Is this the Marine Corps son who works for a distillery? No, actually. the uh, Well, I'm surprised. The, I'm surprised to hear that. <laughs> the Marine Corps son is our second born, and he's working security uh, with a security firm, and they are absolutely swamped at this point with uh, all the problems with uh, COVID-19 and, and riots and protests. So they've got a lot of work to do with private security. Uh, but my oldest, Nate, is the one that's uh, on the road uh, kind of fulfilling his dream of being a homeless vagabond that is uh, promoting the adventure lifestyle. 
Cool. Man, that sounds great. And uh, for new listeners to the Marketing Book Podcast, uh, I should explain to them that you were on episode 220 in March of 2019, really just about one year before the whole pandemic kicked in here in the United States. And last week, I published episode 283. So for new listeners, tell them who you are and what you do. Well, I've been given the nickname King of Clarity, and uh, my mission in life is to help companies and individuals get a uh, very clear and concise understanding of their purpose, their message, their sweet spot in the marketplace, and to help craft words around that that will be intuitive and easy for people to understand. Uh, As you know, a lot of companies sort of dump information and don't really pay attention to how clear and memorable uh, what they say is, but that's really critical. So I wrote a book uh, toward the end of 2018 called Clarity Wins, which lays out the principles that I've developed over the years on how to create a clear direction, a clear strategy, and a clear message. So Steve, what changed uh, unexpectedly, if, if anything, uh, in your world? <laughs> well, a lot of my corporate clients are in the pharmaceutical industry. And for them, I have done an increasing number of uh, live workshops over the years on clarity of communications in uh, leadership and in project management and marketing But uh, what happened uh, this year is all of that live stuff got shut down. And I have had to re-architect many of my offerings on the workshop level or even the individual coaching level for uh, a virtual world. And that surprisingly has opened up uh, some whole new avenues that I wasn't able to approach before. So uh, I am now offering to clients a series of webinars for their leaders on how to communicate, how to collaborate with Clarity, how to network with Clarity. And I'm beginning to think, uh, after that first month and a half or so of of downright panic of what in the world are we going to do, uh, that this may end up really fundamentally changing my business for the better. Mm, I'm hearing that a lot these days <laughs> from uh, companies that uh, didn't want to change to others that looked upon this as sort of the big reset and started to realize what the real solution that they provide. And I say solution because I know you hate that word, and we'll talk about that in a minute. <laughs> but I remember uh, in in the interview, you talked about why it is so hard for companies to answer the question is central to your book. And it's one I already asked you, which is, so what do you do? Why is that so hard for people and companies? Well, I think a lot of it comes down, uh, Douglas, to what I call the curse of knowledge, that um, all of us are very immersed in our own world, our own language, our own jargon. And many times we don't know how to put into simple what I call human-ready terms, exactly what we do so that uh, somebody who's listening to us can very quickly and intuitively grasp it. So part of the service that I provide is is being an outsider, being someone that is not uh, under the curse of knowledge for my clients, 
And trying to translate the value proposition, trying to translate the message into terms that a regular human can quickly grasp and uh, and I call that the first moment of truth. The first moment of truth is, can I, within the first few seconds or minute, really get what you're saying? The second moment of truth is, can you embed it in my memory in a vivid way that I can then refer others to you? And that, to me, is kind of the holy grail of marketing, because we all know that referral business is the best business. So if I can implant into your mind, into your memory, what I do, who I do it for, and why it's valuable, then you can refer me. If I just sort of snow you under with a blizzard of words, there's no way you can know how to refer me. I remember uh, from your book, because I haven't brought your book to my home, <laughs> all the books are still in my office, which is collecting dust. We've Everyone fled the office. Let's be honest, Steve, to get away from me. But, uh-huh. uh, and I can't blame them. <laughs> and after all these years, 16 years, I'm letting the lease go, but I haven't moved out yet um, because the landlord is only too happy to collect rent uh, <laughs> until the end of the lease. Hey, that's the way it goes. But I remember uh, you explained something in the book that I have great difficulty helping companies understand. And it was. Your true fight is not against other businesses. It's right. of your audience, which and the most precious commodity of all is attention. That's correct. What we're really up against, every single one of us, no matter what business we're in, what we're up against is the noise, uh, an environment that is filled with distraction, with messages, with screens, with audio. And we're not competing first and foremost with another company that provides what we do. We're competing for attention. We're trying to get somebody to actually perk up their ears, listen to what we have to say. And what that means is that we have to craft our message in a way that gets through the brain's filtering system because the brain has to filter out almost all the stimulus that comes in it only wants to hear what's new and interesting and relevant, what's, what's something that's got a what's in it for me. So our responsibility is to take a message and in a matter of 15 to 30 seconds, let somebody know why we are important and what we can do for them. And this is something most businesses have a great deal of difficulty distilling down to. It's so true. And I, you said uh, we tend to carry around a delusion that people actually care about what we have to say. <laughs> or as David Merriman Scott likes to say, nobody cares about your product but you. And so your book comes to mind. I, I specifically remember a meeting I was having with a client some some time ago, you know, months within the last six months. And this client was talking about uh, wanting to do an email campaign like a newsletter, uh, and talking about what they've been doing, what products and services. And I, I had a little trouble downshifting for a moment there. And I, your book came to mind <laughs> because mm-hmm. I was thinking, you know, you don't understand. And, you know, it's up to me to try to help them 
discover this, but they're they're came, they're competing with cat videos, which are much mm-hmm. more interesting than what they have to say about themselves. And I remember this one particular client. You know, I never met his mom, but I remember thinking, you know, I'm sure your mom really loves you, but she probably doesn't even care <laughs> about. <laughs> Out of you. She probably doesn't really care about what you would put in this newsletter. And if you can't get to her, no, I'm kidding. But it was sort of like, I don't think that people appreciate, you know, what you describe as this. I think you even talked about how a a wealth of information creates a pension. That's got to be the hard thing. It is. It's it's real difficult. And as you know, we all delete emails like crazy. And so we only have basically the subject line and the first sentence to standing between us and deletion. And if we can't get to the point real quickly in a way that's interesting, then our message is, is gone. It's, it's in the trash. Um, I have been in the process of working on a webinar uh, that's being co-produced with another organization organization, and they sent me uh, just a a day or two ago, uh, their proposed slide format. Well, the first few slides were these text heavy, you know, here's the introduction to who we are as as an organization, and here are our founding principles, and here, and then they had the usual introduction of uh, the speakers, which were these full screens. And I'm looking at these slides, and I'm saying, if we go this direction, and this presentation is about clear communications, if we go this direction, we have lost everybody right before we even start. And so what I suggested and what we're going to do is we put all that stuff at the back of the presentation because we got to get to the point. Mm-hmm. We have to hook the listener right away with something that's interesting. And if it's a bunch of blah, 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 we've lost it. Yes. There was another uh, great line from your book. It was probably my favorite line, Steve, if I could just share this with you. It was excrement wrapped in a blanket of fog. (laughs) You know, the things I learn, but more importantly, the things that stick in my head (laughs) from the hundreds of books I've been able to read for this podcast. What, What was Steve Woodruff talking about when he talked about excrement wrapped in a blanket of fog. And this is the cocktail hour. So, you know, people are upset, but I think that's why they're tuning in. Well, you know, a lot of times we think we've got to just throw a bunch of boilerplate and a bunch of jargon and and a bunch of blah, blah out there. And uh, people really don't need that. And that's the excrement. And the fog is that uh, if we're ambiguous about what we're after, if we're not very specifically saying this is exactly where we're going, this is exactly what I'm expecting you to, to see, to learn, to, to, to do, or to change, then uh, that sort of ambiguity uh, just doesn't do anybody any good. The brain, the human brain does not like ambiguity, does not like to try to have to figure stuff out. And so if we're like a fog machine, and we're trying to make people parse out what we mean or where we're going or why we're even talking, the human brain has no desire for that. It'll shut down. So what we've got to do is create shortcuts. We have to use verbal shortcuts to very quickly enlighten the mind, turn the light bulb on so that somebody says, oh, I understand that. Oh, I get that. Tell me more. But as soon as we start throwing up the fog, we are just inviting people 
to leave, to delete us, to look to Netflix. Because we don't want to add to our cognitive load. Correct. Yeah. I mean, and I mean, these are the rules. This is the law, Douglas. Well, it's the the way the brain brain works, right? The brain does not want to do extra work. And if we, if we approach our communications with that core understanding that my job is to make you get it without working, it changes everything about the way we design a website, the way we design an email, the way we do marketing, the way we network, all of it. The brain doesn't want work. That's right. And Steve Woodruff, there's an acronym GMO. Now, what does GMO people think that GMO stands for? Well, um, genetically is the first yeah, genetically modified organism. So I, I've I've twisted it into gray matter overload, which <laughs> right. is uh, a way of saying that uh, when we try to say too much, or we use too much jargon, or we don't get right to a, a precise point, uh, we're just contributing to gray matter overload. And because we have five senses that are pouring millions, literally millions of bits of information into the brain. Every minute, the last thing we want to do is to add to the overload. Mm-hmm. So, Steve, is there anything whole pandemic that has surprised you or perhaps inspired you? So, so there's another acronym I like to to point people to, uh, Douglas, and that's VUCA, and that uh, originated with the military, sort of a description of the fog of war. Uh, VUCA stands for volatility, uncertainty, complexity, and ambiguity. And not only is that the environment we're always in, that's the environment we're really in with the pandemic. Mm. And what we have seen is that people and companies are navigating a world of uncertainty and ambiguity that is way deeper than anything we have ever seen. And and like no frame of reference. Yeah. I mean, we have literally it's uncharted waters. So what that means is that the best marketers and businesses have had to adjust their messages to try to speak into an environment of fear and and really deep uncertainty. Uh, And so that's why I've encouraged people to repackage what you're offering for only very short-term wins, quick hits, things somebody can make a decision on based on just something that's an immediate pain and immediate need. Nobody can make long-term strategic decisions during these months. And uh, so fundamentally, for many people, they haven't necessarily changed the core essence of what they do, but we need to change the way we're offering it and the way we're messaging it because we're now in a very intense element of fear and uncertainty. That is such great advice. And uh, it's also backed up by some research that I've learned about in doing this series, uh, Authors in Quarantine Getting Cocktail. Stutz was one of the first guests marketing firm as well as a political consulting firm so naturally they poll their they they do polling all the time and he's one of the reasons I started this because he came to me and said Doug I don't have another book to talk about but I have got to come on your show to talk to you about how dramatically and how quickly attitudes have changed 
just mm-hmm. within the two weeks that they had done it. I think they do it every two weeks. And sure enough, just like you said, people were really focused on safety and yep. uh, there was fear. And then not too long ago, I interviewed Tom Searcy for the marketing book podcast. And he's the author of whale hunting, uh, fantastic sales books. Uh, and he wrote a, a, he wrote a book in a hurry and it was only about a hundred pages, but it was called selling in place, you know, selling in this new normal. Hmm. And he talked about, uh, the same thing you just mentioned about how, I mean, just almost word for word, what you said about how people, they'd like to think further ahead, but they're really just focused on the next 90 days. They're more mm-hmm. concerned about survival than they are about uh, revenue maximization. <laughs> yeah. So if you can't offer something uh, is short-term, and really speaks to that concern, you're going to have uh, more difficulty. Correct. Is if that's going to last longer than we might currently think. I think it will. There, uh, We will see some easing up on the emphasis. The initial emphasis for the first month and a half was strictly at the very base of the Maslow py- Pyramid of Needs, which was survival. Yes. Because many, really most probably of us had to really address the issue of, are we going to survive? How are we going to survive? Which is way different from long-term strategy. And, and, and we were seeing from, people who weren't surviving, at least. Correct. And, yeah, well. and many will not, and many yeah. have not. So mm-hmm. we know that's actually Well, actually, I should say, problem. also, it's a life or death, not just businesses. We saw people perish. Correct. And so that drastically changed our behavior quickly. Yeah, I don't think we've ever seen as dramatic a shift and as widespread, really global a shift in the environment in which we lived in as this pandemic panic. So uh, it has caused, I think, many of us to really question what we're doing in the short term and maybe in the midterm, and perhaps in some cases permanently in the long term. Uh, I know for many of my clients, they've had to virtualize things that they'd never virtualized before, launch meetings that used to be, you know, hundreds of people all in one place and sales meetings and hiring practices that are being done virtually now and coaching and all kinds of changes. And and we're still in the midst of all of that change. And I think it will continue for, for a good bit of this year. And how have they reacted? Did they first think, well... We simply can't do it, and then they just uh, figured out how to get around it? It all depends on the client. So uh, my corporate clients that are in the pharmaceutical industry have enough resources to have sort of backed away from a lot of what they did commercially. The, all the reps kind of stayed at home. They've A lot of them have been working from home. They've had a tremendous amount of work to do to repurpose things. So many of them have done well. But other businesses have been on much tighter margins, as you know, restaurants and and others where cash flow is king. And uh, for them, they don't have the luxury of waiting it out. They don't have the luxury of making slow change. So from uh, industry to industry, from place to place, we've seen a much different ability to weather the storm. Well, Steve, let me go back to your book because I got you on the line here (laughs) I've just got to pull out one of the other gems from your book. And I I have here that you would be a zillionaire, which apparently is an actual number. Um, I saw it on the internet. (laughs) 
If you had $10 for every company that advertised itself as providing that word I mentioned earlier, solutions, mm. why does that word grind Steve Woodruff's gears? <laughs> I hate that word. Oh, my goodness. Well, you're handling uh, the stress quite well. So. Yes. But you yeah, suffer I've, for your art, so please. I've learned to laugh at it. Uh, you know, a few decades ago, uh, I've been involved a lot in technology stuff. And so solutions kind of had a meeting, a meaning a few decades ago. Uh, you know, a, a, a tech company, a software company would come in and they would design a software solution to meet a specific business process or something like that. Then the, the solution word just spawned off and everybody in the world, whether it's lawn care solutions or senior living solutions or, uh, you know, we'll, disposal solutions, everybody's throwing solutions around. And it's a meaningless term. It's a lazy term. It's we're not going to tell you exactly what we're doing. We're just going to put it in this big basket called solutions and let you try to figure out what that means. I really despise it. I view it as cowardice for the most part. So uh, I think if we're going to tell people in a tagline or in a, in a company name what we do, the word solutions says nothing. It means nothing. And uh, one of my prime examples of this is a company that has 120,000 moving billboards all over the world that uses that word and nobody, nobody remembers what it says on the side of their truck. And I'm talking about UPS, which says worldwide solutions on the side of their truck. Oh, well, maybe they're a chemical company, you know, solutions. Yeah, they could be anything. The thing is, it means nothing. Uh, worldwide is, is a great word. But the idea that they are a solutions provider is just very amorphous, very ambiguous, and not memorable. Nobody, I've, I've asked, I don't know how many audiences, what's on the side of a UPS truck. Nobody remembers because it's not a memorable phrase. Uh, the other thing they put sometimes on the side of the truck is synchronizing the world of commerce, which is another jargon loaded phrase that's only good for executives in supply chain management. So they have, they actually have a twofer. They're, they're the worst sinners in marketing, I believe. They have two phrases that they put on the sides of their truck. They have the most visibility of just about any company in the world day after day driving through neighborhoods and nobody knows what their truck says. And who would that be? UPS. Oh, okay. I thought you were springing another one on me like the Amazon vehicles or something like that no it, it's ups they just absolutely it, it and i've i've been actually my very first marketing blog post about 15 years ago i wrote uh, uh on my marketing blog was about ups and was about their uh moving billboards that they have just absolutely uh used up that real estate with garbage and nobody knows what it is so if you're going to name a company or if you're going to come up with a tagline be specific about what you do. Don't just say we provide uh, painting solutions, roofing solutions, tree cutting solutions. That kind of stuff is a waste of term terminology. Well, that ties into these elements of clarity that you had in your book, which is you know not the elements of style, the elements of clarity, and it had like what and for whom and why, and then how and where. Mm -hmm. 
But right. what's interesting is why was how uh, the the one that has all the superpower as it relates to being clear? Well, one of the interesting things about about clarity is when we speak about our what, it's it's what exactly precisely we're doing, which generally speaking is not solutions. The the for whom is who who is our target, our ideal customer. And then the how, the superpower, is what is it that differentiates us as a as a company, as a provider, as an individual? What's the thing that makes us unique? Because we're gonna be a commodity, we're gonna be just another company that does whatever, unless we can occupy a space in the mind of our audience that says, oh, that's what makes Douglas Burdett special. That's what makes Steve Woodruff special. That's what makes XYZ Company special. So we've got to be able to articulate that superpower and say, here is why we are different. We Even we have been thinking about, well, how can we be more clear? What is the real value we provide? What are all those extra things we do that we could probably drop? Mm-hmm. Things like that. And that's why you're one that I'm probably going to go back and read again. I'll read it more quickly because I've read it once. But it's it's like one of the books that would probably be most helpful uh, right now as people go through this somewhat externally induced <laughs> requirement to mm. rethink what they're doing. Yeah, I've, I've felt that uh, there's an element of clarity where you get to the DNA level of what a company does. And, and or an individual does, and that's kind of like you know stable. Um, here's the here's the core value we bring. But when it comes to the specific offerings or the specific way that we provide it or the specific message, that can change circumstantially. And I think with the pandemic, for many people, if they don't go through a full rebranding, they might want to take their their brand and repurpose some aspects of what they're offering and how they're messaging it just because it's a totally different environment now. Yes. Today I read an article and I'll see if I can find it included in your show notes at marketingbookcocktails.com. And it was about this three word question that Jeff Bezos from Amazon uses when he's doing planning. Cause he said, I don't know what's going to happen in 10 years. Mm-hmm. <laughs> At least he's honest about it, but he's, he, he keeps going back to what won't change. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Amazon uh, is an interesting company. Uh, a friend of mine here in Franklin, Tennessee, uh, Steve Anderson, uh, wrote a book called The Bezos Letters. And he underscores the way Jeff Bezos thinks strategically. And what he's looking at is what are the things that are constants? And one of those is customer service. Uh, uh, Amazon's built on customer service. Customers want more, they want faster, they want cheaper. And whether and, and I remember an early interview with him in the early early days where he said internet schminternet. <laughs> Cuz you know this whole online thing was new. But, but he, what he was saying was whether it's internet or not, there are these core things that we're going to build this company on that are about the user experience, about customer service. And uh, when we arrive at those things about our company, about our offering, we may change the specific ways we do things, 
but our core principles, generally speaking, are going to stay the same. Mm-hmm. So what is Steve Woodruff doing to keep himself entertained these days? <laughs> Well, I'm spending a little more time with with each of my kids as we have more time to to kind of strategize and think through what they're doing. Well, now, are they all Uh, near you in the Nashville area? uh, Four of them are nearby in Tennessee, and then uh, Nate is now the wanderer, so he's wherever he is. Right now, he's in Arizona uh, as we speak. A professional wanderer. He's a professional wanderer. Yeah, he's uh, he's an adventurer. Uh, even though he actually did change his residency to Tennessee, so he, he technically is is a resident here of, of our state. So he has an um, eye uh, <laughs> an eye for the tax man. Very good. Exactly. There's no well done, Dad. Tax. Yeah, that's right. I, we had urged him get out of New Jersey, come down here to Tennessee. It's way smarter financially to do that. Uh, but I've been doing a lot of adjusting uh, of my own offerings, talking a lot with my clients, trying to figure out new ways to to bring clarity to clients. And uh, but I've also stepped back a little bit. Uh, I, I tend to be overly intense as an individual, and um, this has forced me to to take a little more time to just think about things and to uh, be not so reactive. Um, and uh, so in some ways, it's, it's actually been a very productive time. I, I've uh, scaled back a little bit on how many hours I work per day. Uh, I spend more time doing some things that I really, really enjoy, which is working with uh, cutting wood, splitting wood, uh, stacking wood, finding, you know, making trails in the woods. I love the woods. I, I want to retire in a set of woods. And kind of getting in touch with some of the things that I hope to do in the future as I uh, get older, which is uh, just more solitary pursuits and and uh, getting my hands on dirt and wood and 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 uh, pathways and and those things that that bring me a certain kind of joy that are beyond my my normal professional things. Yes, uh, that can be very. Th- that uh, working with wood and, and clearing brush and cutting wood and getting, you know, it's coming. So does uh, Steve Woodruff have any more uh, books in the in the hopper? That's a, that's a good question. I've been wrestling with that a little bit. Um, my wife is not a fan of me doing this again. <laughs> she saw what I went through the first time. Um, I have had uh, a number of thoughts about either a second volume that focuses more on the corporate side of clear communications and collaboration skills and this kind of thing, because there's a whole aspect of clarity that I didn't really talk about in the book. The book was more about sales and referrals and branding. Uh, But a lot of what I've done with my clients has been on the corporate side of leadership and communications. So I've been wrestling with, do I maybe make a second edition of Clarity Wins that's expanded or do I do a second book? I have a lot of ideas. That's certainly there. So my guess is I'm going to do do something. Mm -hmm. Uh, Probably have to let a little bit of water go over the dam this year and then uh, maybe next year I'll start on that project. So sort of a corporate clarity book? Yeah. the um, I chose to focus on, on this particular case a lot with individuals and small businesses, uh, the need for clarity uh, in your brand and in your company. Uh, 
But because many of my clients are very large corporations, there's this whole aspect of clear communications that comes into how do you network effectively in a corporation? How do you create collaboration in a team? How do you communicate in an organization? How do you found your organization on clear principles? And these are things I've, I've done uh, some workshops on and some teaching on over the years. I didn't want to include them in this particular book when I released it in 2018. But a lot of those things have been maturing over the last uh, year and a half or so. And so at some point, I'm going to have to write all that stuff down. You better. (laughs) (laughs) I know. I just have to give it a little more time. (laughs) Yeah. Well, what do you find works well for helping you to think? I mean, really think about things. Working with the wood, chopping down, clearing brush, something like that? You know, I have a mind that never stops, which is a blessing and a curse. Uh, so I'm never, I never stop analyzing. But what I find is that uh, I can sit down and do a certain amount of analytical work where I'm addressing a topic and I'm sitting with a pen and a piece of paper and working it through. But a lot of times the connections really get made when I'm walking the dog or taking a shower or doing something else Mm because there's this process running in the background all the time. And so some of the insights or some of the connections, they just have to kind of happen as they happen. You can't force them. Uh, So I just kind of go through my day and, and I know there are some times when the creative juices are flowing like crazy and other times they're not. And, and then I just scribble a whole lot of very messy notes that end up cluttering my desk and at some point I have to put them into some form. Uh, and that's how I work. It's not, uh, it's not real systematic, I'm afraid. Well, it seems to be working. The only tip I have that I figured out years ago was to like a spiral-bound notebook. And the only mm-hmm. reason and I may write the date and then I just random thoughts and, you know, like a phone number that I've got to have or anything like that. And at least I know everything I write down is going to be in there somewhere. So sure, I have to go back and find it. And I remember I I found out about this idea like 25 years ago from some other book I was reading. And this person sitting down in a book, you know, binder, notebook or whatever. And they were working at some job and then there was some something bad that happened at the job with some people that they had been working with and the notebook got subpoenaed. Oh, oh. And, and well, and so because it, it, they had been at a meeting or something, but the fact that this person had kept everything, they always knew they weren't going to have to go on their desk. <laughs> they weren't going to have to find it in some, <laughs> some other place. So I now have like a footlocker full of these binders, these spiral bound that I've, I've really never gone back to look at, but it's like, well, I don't know. I might need that phone number from 17 years ago. <laughs> or I might get yeah. subpoenaed. You know, that's always an yeah, option. Yeah, well, that, that's the other thing you want to be careful about. Yeah, but, well, I'd, uh, like, I'd like to think I lead an interesting enough life to do something like that. But um, yeah. So, well, listen, Steve Woodruff, I really appreciate you taking the time and pouring yourself a nice glass of uh, your son's uh, whiskey and uh, coming back to visit us on uh, this special uh, limited time series of the Marketing Book Podcast, Authors in Quarantine Getting Cocktails. And if there's another book in the works, I hope you'll 
I hope you'll remember the the you know the small people, the the, the podcasters <laughs> out there. <laughs> well, and, Douglas, I gotta tell you, the the biggest, really the biggest help in launching my book has been podcasters. When I launched in 2018, uh, you and and dozens of others uh, took the time to interview me, get to know me, uh, and interact. And uh, I will forever be indebted to my podcasting friends for that. Well, great. And that's good to hear. And speaking of another book, there was a show years ago called Years Ago. I've been doing this five and a half years, but I'm already starting to sound like a, a wistful old timer. Don't say anything. And so it was called Traction by uh, Gabriel Weinberg. And oh, I'm sorry. I apologize. I can't remember the name of the co-author. Gabriel is the guy that was the founder of the search engine, DuckDuckGo. But what they had hmm. done was they wrote this book called uh, Traction about the startup world, marketing in the startup world. And there were about 19 things that every startup should be considering to market their business. And try all of them and, and test all of them in whatever way you can. And then maybe you ultimately go back to four of them that really work well based on what you see is working. And then the the book, they talked about how so many companies in the startup world copy each other. <laughs> they, don't, mm-hmm. they don't give any thought to something that might be a little different. So what they did was when they launched the book, they did all 19 and tested them to see what was working to get traction for their book. They found out that podcasts, while they aren't enormous audiences, that had the number one traction so they then doesn't surprise me at all. Well, so again, you know, Steve, you're you're you're. It's like you read their book, and they then said, "Well, my goodness, you know, what, just like our book says, we need to do more of what's working and less of what's not working. Let's go get on forty-two more podcasts." <laughs> it was brilliant and uh, a, ter- a terrific book. So yeah, it's it's really true. Podcasts can work uh, quite well for authors, and I'm happy to doing that. But I hope that, uh, your family and all the folks that you work with continue to stay sell- safe and, and healthy. Well, thanks, Douglas. I really appreciate our time to get caught up today. And, uh, you know, hopefully uh, we'll, we'll have another book or, or at least uh, maybe an expanded version to talk about in the future.